and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So my day job is that I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we are facilitators and coaches, and we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've been truly overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our previous episodes, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach for the podcast. Thanks to all of you who have already done so, and let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. So I often get asked, Brian, why do you continue to do the podcast? You've done it. This is your sixth year now of, of recording the podcast, and what keeps you going? And I simply tell them I love the opportunity to speak to and to ask questions to some of the best leaders, some of the best writers, and some of the best performers in the world. And oftentimes, I sort of pinch myself at who I get to spend some time with and who I get to learn from. And then obviously, getting the opportunity to share those conversations with all of you is the reason why I continue to do this. And today's guest was one of those people who I just sat back and reflected and thought about and just said, sheesh, who am I to get to spend time with this person? Because what he's done in his career and his life uh, is just awe-inspiring. That's, that's the phrase that I keep coming back to. 
So Admiral John Richardson has served, he served 37 years in the U.S. Navy, completing his service as the Chief of Naval Operations, where he was the top officer in the Navy and responsible for 600,000 people under his watch. Talk about a responsibility and talk about leadership that he had to take on in that role. And before that, he served as the director of naval reactors from 2012 until 2015. So he was at the forefront of our military and our naval fleet uh, and our submarines, uh, both from a nuclear standpoint and from a people standpoint. So think of all of the responsibility that comes with leading those organizations and those teams. It's big, big and important and serious stuff. And since his retirement, he's continued to serve. He's on the board of directors of the Boeing Company, Constellation Energy Corporation, and BMX Technologies. He's also served on the boards of the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, the Center for New American Security, and the Navy League of the United States. And one of the things I love about Admiral Richardson is that he walks the walk. And his leadership style, as you'll find out, is very much hey, I've been there. I've done it. So while in the Navy, he served in the submarine force and he commanded the attack submarine USS USS Honolulu in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, for which he was awarded the Vice Admiral James Bond Stockdale Inspirational Leadership Award. So while he was in the Navy, he commanded at every level. So he's seen things from the inside out. He's seen them from all levels of the Navy and our military. And this conversation gives his perspective and lends his perspective to what it means to lead, what it means to develop a team and an organization, what your philosophy is and, and what you value. And he really is a man of action. And so I think you'll find him to be down to earth while also being extremely bright. This is someone who has a master's degree in electrical engineering from the from MIT uh, and also went on to get his master's degree in national security strategy from the National War College. So he spent his life uh, defending our freedom, and hopefully I did him some justice for a little bit on this podcast. So here is Admiral John Richardson. Admiral John Richardson, thanks for coming on the podcast. I always am unsure how to uh, say people's names when there's something before their name. And yeah. your your emails back to me are always John. So I, I went with John. I took your lead, but I feel as though I still have to address you as Admiral. So um excited to have you here. Uh, when I was researching, and I did a, a bunch of research because you've lived many lives within this one life of yours. So I'm excited to learn from you today. Uh, you mentioned on another podcast how verse 17 of the Tao Te Ching has impacted your leadership. And I figured I'd start by just reading that out loud because I had not heard of or read that before. And when mm -hmm. I read it, I thought it was pretty powerful. So I'm going to read it out loud and then I'd love to get your thoughts on why that verse resonates with you. So uh, the verse goes like this. When the master and governs, the people are hardly aware that he exists. Next best is a leader who is loved. Next, one who is feared. The worst is one who is despised. If you don't trust people, you make them untrustworthy. The master speaks little. He never speaks carelessly. He works without self-interest self and leaves no trace. When the work is done, the people say, amazing, we did it all by ourselves. Yeah, Brian, I mean, first of all, uh, 
by whatever name you choose to call me, it's a real honor to be here and a pleasure. And uh, I've enjoyed, you know, just kind of working up to this, getting to know you a little bit. And so uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this discussion. And I can't think of a, a better place to start than verse 17, uh, because it really, I think, uh, teaches so much about leadership in that small, but as you say, powerful verse. And I, uh, I really uh, sort of adopted that as, a way to uh, something to strive for, let's say, uh, to become that sort of master of leadership, right? The real uh, mastery of leadership uh, is, I think, sort of you know, subtracting yourself as the leader out of the process, out of you know the organization, and and just as the the verse says. You know, in the end, everybody will look around and say, hey, we did all this by ourselves, right? And uh, much of that will be true, right? I, I think that uh, the epitome of leadership uh, and mentoring and teaching and uh, leading a learning organization is that, you know, that organization will do so much by itself. Uh, but then, you know, there are those times. I, I mean, I'm a big advocate of leadership. I think it really matters. And so there are those times where, you know, the leader has to sort of lead the people uh, sometimes very subtly and draw them into sort of the right answer, draw them into a shared understanding across the organization. The other reason I like that verse a lot, uh, Brian, is because it centers on trust, right? It says a lot about trust. And so I've, you know, my experience is that uh, if, you're authentic with your team and you uh, trust them and you uh, have high expectations for them, uh, they're going to feel that and they're going to rise and, uh, and almost every time they exceed those expectations, right? And so, and this is why they can legitimately say, hey, we kind of did this by ourselves at the end of the day. So I've just thought that in very few words, uh, it, it talks a lot about leadership. And, and just to the one last point, you know, the loved leader is uh, is an intoxicating uh, thing, right? It's very tempting to sort of try and become that leader who everybody loves. And uh, I like this verse because it pushes you beyond that, right? To the point of, hey, get, get beyond it, get over that and get to the point where, you know, you subtract yourself out of that and they take it over by themselves. How do you build trust? Uh, that's a great question. I think trust is, you know, it's, there's this whole, uh, thing I've heard. I, I know you've heard this many times that, you know, it's very hard to surge trust, you know, to sort of, to, to develop it overnight. Uh, but you can lose it, you know, in the blink of an eye. It's one of those really tough things. And, and once lost, it, it takes even longer, you know, to build it back up. But I think that, uh, consistent with verse 17, you know, you start with a degree of trust in the system, right? I mean, most of the organizations that uh, I've been part of have been all volunteer organizations of one type or another. People are there because they want to be there, right? They had a lot of choices and they chose to be part of your team, this team. And so, you know, I think that that uh, deserves a lot of respect. Uh, there's something inside those people, that person, each person that resonated with, you know, the, 
the mission, the character, the integrity uh, of that team. And so, you know, I always like to respect that connection, that draw, right? And then, uh, and so, you know, that merits, I think, a bias towards trust. But, you know, I also come from, uh, you know, the nuclear Navy and the submarine force. So we've got this phrase and it's, it's not ours, it's trust, but verify. And, uh, and so, you know, again, the climate of a, of a really healthy organization in my mind is one that uh, is founded on trust, but is also uh, eager and willing to have that trust verified, right? They're, they're, they're not gonna take offense that you maybe, you know, check on things, those sorts of things. They welcome that, right? Because we, we all are here to back each other up and uh, check each other's homework, if you will. And even if it's one time out of a hundred that someone says, hey, did you look at that? And it's like, holy cow, you know, thanks. <laughs> I hadn't looked at that. that. That little, you know, climate of trust, but verify, I think is important. When I hear trust, but verify, where I go is trust your gut and verify using your head or verify, you know, looking at data or whatever it might be. Do you lean more towards trusting your gut or using your your mind when it comes to decision making? Yeah, I think that it's really uh, both. And I think that there's a lot of overlap between those two. You know, they're not independent variables, Brian. And so you know, when I was teaching uh, submarine command, we did a lot of uh, research into uh, decision-making, right? Particularly decision-making in stressful uh, and and time-sensitive situations. And, you know, one person that I really uh, came to admire was uh, Gary Klein in this uh, instance. And he's got a number of great books about, uh, you know, intuitive or intuition or instinct, and, uh, you know, what he says, and I'll paraphrase it a little bit, but basically, you know, your gut, Brian, is a finely calibrated instrument that has been, you know, formed and, and shaped by your experience, right? And so, uh, you know, somebody who's inexperienced, a brand new person, uh, let's say they just joined the workforce, right? They're a young, a young worker. Well, okay, you know, they're going to have some instincts. Uh, but you know they don't have a whole lot of experience, so their their gut hasn't been super calibrated. Uh, even a more experienced person, if they're put in a new position, right? There's going to be some adaptations, you know, to tune their instincts as well. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, people's guts are actually really, you know, finely honed instruments that have experienced a lot of uh, data, decisions that have gone right, decisions that have gone not so right indications that are sometimes very, very subtle, but you pick those up with experience. And so, you know, those are data rich uh, types of events that, that go beyond just numbers and give you this contextual type of appreciation for the situation. And then of course, you know, the intellectual thing, if it's a, hey, you know, if it's a checklist, for instance, there's a, you know, a whole number of things where checklists are real lifesavers and have done you know, amazing uh, work to reduce uh, problems, you know, that's, that's a much more kind of an intellectual type of thing to just go down that checklist and make sure that all the steps are completed properly. Do you get excitement or energy from one of those more than the other? Like, do you get excitement when your gut starts going, Oh, I, I think I've seen this before. Like I, I got an answer or is it in that validation part where 
you really love to live. And I know I'm making them binary and I understand that they're yeah. not necessarily, but for me, at least I like when my gut starts going, like I get, I get energy <laughs> and yeah. I need people in my life who can slow me down sometimes. And other times I need people to get out of the way. Um, yeah. but I know I get energy from, from that gut, but I've been around other people that love like being a challenger and, and sort of looking at, well, let's look at everything here. And, and I think having all of that in the room is, is usually helpful, but for you individually, um, where does your energy come from? Yeah, I guess my back, yeah, it depends on what sort of uh, career you've had too, Brian. Right. And so a lot of what, uh, I've had to do is, uh, lead teams and develop other leaders who are going to make uh, decisions, important decisions, sometimes life and death decisions in the face of incomplete information, right? And there's going to be, you're never going to get all the uncertainty out. And if you delay too long, you know, no decision is a decision, right? You've decided not to do something. And so, uh, you know, uh, how to bring those two together, right? To just, uh, again, kind of uh, point out that they're not completely independent. You've got, you know, tremendous amount of data that may be in front of you, but it's just not, you know, coalescing into something that's, you know, easy to say, oh yeah, A is the choice. Uh, and so what I've always really uh, found fascinating is uh, not only in myself, but even more so in developing other leaders, right? Deliberately developing their instincts and their gut so that they can make good decisions in the face of uh, incomplete information, right? And uh, part of that is uh, is understanding that, uh, you know, if I'm overseeing a situation and somebody else is, is really kind of running it, uh, operating it, uh, we'll both look at the, at the same situation. I might, you know, have, my instinct tells me to take a particular way uh, the other person who's actually running the show, their instinct may take them in a different path. And you have to understand that, you know, there are probably a lot of right paths, you know, to get to, to the objective. Uh, unfortunately, there's like, uh, you know, a billion times <laughs> that wrong paths. But, uh, you know, the ability to sort of say, okay, you know, let's take this down your way. I'm not going to stop you and correct you. Uh, because that's when the learning stops on, on uh, their part, right? And so, but having, you know, the even more, I guess, uh, in experience to say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm willing to let this go, let this go a little further. Oh, even further still. Oh, this is going to be okay. Or, okay, I'm going to let this go. Oh, this is looking, you know, like it's not going to work out. It's time for me to maybe intervene and, uh, and get a better understanding of what that person's thinking. So it's in the training of intuition. That's, that's super exciting for me. Yeah. And, and let's put this in some context. I, I was talking to someone who went to the Naval Academy and then served in the Marines. And I told him yesterday, he's a client. And, and I was like, yeah, I'm having Admiral Richardson on. And he's like, oh, he's seen some things <laughs> like he, yeah. he's, he's been at it. And I, you know, it sort of reminded me uh, as a civilian, it's like, oh, like you had great, great responsibility uh, when we're talking about you know, nuclear weapons. And we're talking about, you know, managing 600,000 people, you know, in our, in our naval operations. Like these are, 
these are big, big responsibilities. And, and I'm going to use the word power. These are powerful positions that impact our society. How did you navigate the responsibility uh, and the magnitude of these responsibilities? And how did you sort of manage yourself to ensure that you were doing the best you could within those responsibilities? Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing I was always trying to be uh, mindful of is that, um, it, you know, it goes back to verse 17. There's sort of an inherent humility uh, built into that. You know, the leader that is ready to sort of become invisible is uh, a very humble leader, uh, mindful of uh, their limitations, right? And so how do you uh, compensate for that? Well, you know, of course, you surround yourself with people that are going to, one, you know, kind of keep you humble. And, uh, you know, so building that team that isn't going to be afraid to challenge your thinking or talk to you about decisions and, uh, you know, yeah, they always, you know, make things better. Uh, but also just to, you know, understand, particularly, you know, in my, I mean, leading the United States Navy, you know, that's a, that's a great responsibility, but it's a tremendous privilege, Brian, to be able to do something like that. Uh, and, you know, mindful that, uh, at, at, you know, no matter what scale you want to talk about it, right. Okay. Responsible for the United States Navy, you know, responsible to the American public, right. For, uh, providing a robust element of our uh, defense that can, you know, hopefully deter conflict and keep the nation safe and keep, you know, all of the trade moving on the seas and all of those things. So that's a, you know, that's a great responsibility to a, a very, very high and noble cause. All the way down to how we treat every single individual sailor who again is a volunteer and again, you know, has to a degree been entrusted to the Navy by their parents and their, you know, their family, their brothers and sisters that, you know, that it, it's a, it's an all in type of thing when somebody goes to boot camp or, and, and, you know, goes through that experience, raises their right hand and becomes a member of the armed services. You know, uh, you know, I always told my team, I want to be able to look every mother and father in the country in the eye and say, hey, we're going to take really good care of your, your daughter or your son. And we're going to make sure that they're led by people that are, that know their job, that are people of character and integrity, and, uh, you know, are, are very competent leaders uh, in every way. So, yeah, there's a, there's an obligation to the nation, but then there's an obligation to every single sailor and their family. And, you know, if you think about you know, how weighty that is, uh, it'll keep you humble pretty, you know, all the time. Right? I love verse 17 for leadership. I want to try to understand if it's applicable to war. And uh, so the first verse, once again, when the master governs, the people are hardly aware that he exists. We've covered that. Next best is a leader who is loved. Next one who, uh, who is feared. So I want to just go to fear for, for a minute because... Look, once again, I didn't serve in our military, um, so I'm coming at this from a civilian perspective. I've watched movies. I played Battleship yeah. as a kid, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, so like <laughs> I, I get it fundamentally and without yeah. getting into specifics around countries and threats, um, I'm curious about fear and yeah. like how, how does fear play a role in 
where we have submarines positioned. You spent over 11 years underwater. I would imagine a lot of that is almost like a cat and mouse game to ensure that our country is positioned in the right way to protect not just our country, but the world to a certain extent. Um, So fear, I'd love to get your perspective on it. Um, Not necessarily from a leadership standpoint, but from a military standpoint and how you think about fear and the role it plays. Yeah, it's a great uh, uh, question. And and, uh, so I'll answer it uh, kind of in two ways. The way I I interpret verse 17 is uh, the relationship between the leader and their team, right? And so uh, the master uh, has a relationship with their team such that the team is doing almost everything themselves and in fact says, hey, we did do do this ourselves. Uh, You know, the loved leader is loved by their team. The feared leader is also feared by their team. And, you, you know, you, you've read about those situations, too. It's just, a, you, know, a, a, you know, a tyranny of fear, right? Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that is, unfortunately, a way that uh, some leaders uh, get the job done. And then, you know, the worst is the one who's despised, right? And so, but that's the relationship between the leader and their own team. Um, and, and, and so that's why I think verse 17 is powerful. Now, Let's go outside the team, right? Particularly in a military co- context, you know, I, I'm on record saying that, you know, I wanted the United States Navy to be so strong, so powerful, if you will, maybe even feared by our, uh, our, our adversaries that every single day they wake up and they look out over the water and they say, not today. Right. We are, we are just not going to take this on today because it will not end well for us. Right. And so, you know, so there's this sort of two ways that this can be thought about. One is the relationship between the master and their team. And I think that's where verse 17 is most applicable. That's what it addresses. But then there's the relationship of a particular leader and their team to the competition, if you will. And of course, you know, particularly when uh, it's the stakes are so high and you want to avoid uh, conflict, right? If you can, well, that takes a degree of power and, and respect trending towards fear that the things that you value are, will be threatened if you make the first move and, uh, you know, st- start a fight, if you will. Well, and, and human nature. So I'm not going to drink and drive because I'm afraid that if I, you know, kill someone like that, that fear might be healthy and, or I'm afraid to eat McDonald's every day because I might have a heart attack or smoke cigarettes. And like, so. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's a definitely a healthy uh, role for fear. Right. Uh, But uh, again, you know, as you, as as you appreciated in the verse 17 context, you know, personally, I never, I didn't want to be the leader who was feared by my own team. Right. Um, Now, you know, did I have a, a healthy, you know, it goes back to this instinct, right? Sometimes your spider sense starts to tingle and that gives you a little bit of an implication. Sometimes, you know, it gets to the point where you are legitimately scared, right? And, and okay, you have to kind of keep going on through that. Uh, but, um, and, and, you know, it, it, it builds that experience as well to kind of experience fear every now and then. And then to your point, there's, there's like a healthy role, bad food, bad judgment. You know, it's good to have a healthy fear for uh, what alcohol does to you 
because uh, you won't put yourself in those situations where your impaired judgment and, and response will endanger the people around you, right? So I think, you know, we could talk about fear for hours and hours and hours. Uh, where verse 17 kind of comes down on it is that uh, you don't want, you know, the leader to be feared by their own team. And, you know, I'll tell you that that's this, this role of fear is something that uh, is more common than I think a lot of people uh, give credit for. And it, you know, it may not be the CEO or the, you know, the top leader, but, you know, in the middle, right. There's, you just sort of see uh, this, this particular person is, you know, I do kind of, I am kind of scared of what they'll do, right? Uh, and uh, so, you know, that's why it's a responsibility of the leaders to just kind of be peering down into that level so that uh, the principles by which you want to lead are being, you know, adopted by by everybody on the team, all your subordinate leaders. And what were the ways that you would do that? So we talked about 600,000 people, you know, we've had on guests who have managed or had 60,000, not, not managed, that's not the right word, but 60,000 people technically under yeah. their their watch. There are people that are listening to this that might have six, but regardless yeah. of that, when you're talking about the magnitude of 600,000 people that you're peering into and trying to pour into um, and trying to instill attributes and a culture and an identity, like what were some ways in which you would go about intentionally doing that and touching those 600,000 people while knowing that you're never going to actually be able to touch all of them? Yeah, no, exactly. So, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said for uh, the skill set of just walking around, right? You know, the, walking on the deck plates, Brian. And so, you know, by the time that uh, you get to a position where you've got decades of experience in, in a particular field uh, and you've been sensitive to those types of things, you can assess pretty quickly, right? The health of a team that you're visiting. And so, uh, you know, while for a lot of what you're doing, you're going to rely on the reports that you're going to get, and you can tune, you know, what you, what uh, is reported to you, uh, and and that'll be kind of the, the steady stream of information that will keep you aware of what's going on, uh, and then uh, it's always good to kind of again trust but validate, right? So you're going to kind of go out and you're going to validate. Uh, the information that you're getting by putting your own eyes on it. And uh, I always like, you know, not only, I mean, I like getting down and uh, when, you know, if, if I was going to visit a place, visit a ship, right. Even as the uh, director of Naval reactors or the chief of Naval operations, I always start uh, in the bilge of the ship. Right. And uh, you know, the, they're going to want to take you to the fancy part of the ship, right. The bridge and, all the new great equipment that's working uh, and is and is nice and shiny. Like no, first stop, we're going to go to the bilge, right? Which is the bottom of the ship, and uh, I want to get a sense for what it's like down there, right? Let's go take a look at you know where everybody sleeps, right? Let's go take a look at you know all of those places that are off the normal tour path, because those will give you the real sense for how the team conducts itself. Uh, when they're not under, you know, observation by a visitor or, you know, a VIP visitor or something. And so, uh, or, you know, come, come a little bit early, right. Uh, earlier than scheduled and, you know, see how the team responds coming through a door that maybe they're not expecting. And you just get a, you know, uh, a better sense for how that team is, uh, is actually running to allow you to kind of validate that trusted signal that you've been getting. 
When I work with CEOs, we often talk about working on the business rather than in the business. And for many of them, let's just take a, a CEO who was an engineer or a salesperson and you know they built their business from coding as an engineer or from selling yeah. as a salesperson. And now they're running a business and so they're spending less time coding or less time selling. For you, how did you think about working on uh, your the different groups that you were leading versus- yeah. Uh, previous experience when you were working in something and, and how did you manage that? Yeah, no, that's a super great question. And it really is a, a, an important part, I think, of teaching leadership, right? So, uh, you know, many jobs uh, and even promotions that uh, people get, certainly, you know, as I thought about it in the Navy context, but it's also applicable, I think, in some, you know, in business, right? Uh, and just watching how this happens on some of the boards I'm on. You know, many promotions will put you in a job that really is just a bigger version of the job that you had, right? And so the nature of what you're doing is the same. It's just the scale has changed a little bit. And so, you know, there'll be some challenges. How do you do that at a bigger scale with more, you know, leading more people, more resources, et cetera? And uh, so, so that'll be you know, a, a particular type of challenge. But some jobs, Brian, are different in nature than the one you got before, right? There's a nonlinear jump in what you're doing. And so, you know, in a military context, I would say that uh, your first nonlinear jump is when you, let's just use an officer, for instance, is when you stop being a student and you become a leader, right? So up until you graduate from college, by and large, we're all students of some type or another, and it's all about us and our grades and our athletic performance and everything else. And then, you know, you, you graduate and you join the service and you're commissioned and boom, now it's all about your team, right? And that takes a, that takes a lot of, uh, you know, it, it takes uh, thinking differently about uh, what matters. And so, so that's your first one, right? And then, you know, you lead a small team and then you lead a little bit of a bigger team, a, you know, a division to a department, then maybe you're second in command. That's, you know, but, but then the next nonlinear jump is kind of, you know, you're in command of something, you're in command of a ship and uh, boy, you know, it all stops there. And you, you feel that so vividly when you're there on the bridge as the commanding officer. And then all of a sudden, you know, something happens. There's some kind of a, uh, a problem on the ship and all, all eyes are going to turn to you like, hey, Captain, what are we going to do? Right. And uh, and, you know, that there's nobody that you're going to turn and, and look to for, for help or guidance. So there's that, you know, new the, the new nature of the responsibilities and authorities and all of that. Then to your point, Brian, you know, you can become a really great commanding officer and you become super skilled at running uh, you know, a ship. Uh, and the, you know, the Navy will reward you for that for, uh, or actually not reward you so much as ask more of you to go and now lead a squadron of ships. And uh, this is another nonlinear jump, right? Because uh, the temptation would be to, hey, I did pretty good in, you know, when I commanded a ship, now I've got 10 ships in my squadron. I'll just become a super CEO of 10 ships. And of course, that'll be a disaster, right? You have to learn how to lead, you know, from a little bit of a distance. You can't be on board every ship like you were as a as the captain of the ship. 
how are you going to communicate your guidance and intent? You know, how are you going to command commanders? And uh, that's a different business altogether. That's when you start to work on the business rather than in the business. And some, you know, very skilled commanding officers uh, still don't make that jump, right? And so, because they just, you know, they, they underestimate the different nature, uh, the, the nonlinear jump they have to make to be effective in that new role. And, and so it scales up, right? So you can kind of go and, and, and after that, and there's a number of jobs that are kind of the same, you know, bigger versions of that. And then, you know, the next thing you're in charge of a fleet or something like that. And, uh, you know, now you've got, you know, thousands of people and, uh, you know, many, many squadrons, uh, a big chunk of the world to be responsible of. And so, you know, just the scale of that is, uh, uh, I think, you know, different in nature as well. So I think it's one of the things our, our businesses often get wrong, which is that person's a good coder and they're a star and let's promote them and make them a manager of, of engineers. That person's good at sales. Let's promote them and make them a sales manager. That person's a good athlete. Let's promote them and make them a head coach. And um, so I think a lot of, I see it in other areas of our society where I actually think we get it quite wrong. Um, for you, I'm going to put you on the spot here, uh, but I'd love to have you score out of 10 how strong you think the military is from from your experience at promoting and promoting the right people. And so out of out of 10, but I'm going to put one caveat on it. You cannot use seven uh, people that work with me. know I think seven <laughs> is is a cop out of an answer and it's safe. Uh, so if you go six, you know, there's work to be done and eight, yeah, eh, pretty good. You pass. So, yeah. Um, yeah. What would you score uh, in your experience, how the military does on promoting the right people for the right roles and, and the right jobs? I think I'd have to say eight, eight to nine, you know, Brian, because we do spend in the military a tremendous amount of time on developing leaders. Uh, you know, I used to say that, uh, and I still do, the Navy is a leadership factory. Right. And uh, that young sailor is going to come from somewhere in the country and they're going to go through some number of you know, very short weeks at boot camp and they're going to be super young and we're going to throw them down in a home port somewhere that they've never thought of. Right. And they're going to roll. You know, they're going to report to their first command. And, you know, then when they're brand new uniform, it still kind of smells like new clothes. They've got this new sea bag full of other, you know, new clothes. They're going to find, you know, somebody's going to take them aboard and show them where their bunk is and what their watch station is or what they're going to qualify, all of those things. And so, you know, the brandest, newest type of, you know, uh, sailor on the ship, a worker in the team. But, I mean... In a very, very short time, Brian, that sailor's going to be leading something, right? And so uh, it's just the nature of the business that uh, we build leadership very, very early. Um, now, you know, it, it's a human endeavor, right? So I think anybody who says 10, is, you know, we, we got to take them aside and have a conversation because you're never going to get it 100% right. And, and I think also, I, I bet you've seen this. Sometimes you don't know a person's true stripes until you really do put them in charge, right? And, and uh, maybe with a team that doesn't have a lot of oversight, 
you know, then their real nature comes out and it's like, whoa, you know, where did that come from? Sometimes it's really a, a positive surprise. And sometimes it's like, man, I never saw that before. Uh, and that's why I think, you know, another thing about these uh, commander of commanders is really important for them to continue to watch and mentor those uh, commanding officers, those ship captains, particularly the new ones, right? As they get settled in, their instincts are, are, are not honed for that job even though they've got a lot of experience in the Navy, it's a brand new job, different in nature from anything that they've done. And they need that uh, mentoring and oversight. Just stay with me on this. So I've probably spent more time with businesses and sports teams um, than any other industries. And so when I talk to those people about what causes a sports team to be successful, they'll usually say it's the team. And when I talk to businesses about what unlocked their success. They'll usually say, we figured out how to work together as, as a team. And yet when we sort of talk about their processes for promotion and developing leaders, um, it seems like there is not the same intention that you just described within the military. So if you were to give advice to businesses or, or sports teams on how to integrate or implement some of the things that you did while in the military, not just you, but but the system and the ecosystem, yeah. what would that look like uh, so that they yeah. could go from, let's say, a six to an eight and take a jump? And, and I, I just want to highlight this, like most businesses are successful because teams work together. I mean, yeah. uh, most sports teams, obviously, you need talent on all of these, but they win when the team starts making each other better. And yet we often focus way more on individuals and and just trying to highlight them than trying to figure out how to lead the team. Yeah. Well, it, it's just, uh, you know, the central question, right? And so um, the uh, what, what guidance would it give? You know, I forwarded to you this uh, leader development framework, which was a really interesting process in terms of how that came together, right? And I, the one I sent you was version 3.0. Right. And so the first version uh, had uh, character and competence as, you know, sort of major fundamental elements of leadership to be developed. But the idea behind the framework was the fact that, hey, you know, even inside the Navy, right, there are many different uh, tribes. OK. And so, you know, we, we just saw Top Gun 2. Uh, come out, you know, a fantastic movie. Uh, and, you know, that that captures you know, some of the naval aviation culture, right? That's one really, you know, strong and powerful tribe in the Navy. I was from a different tribe. I'm from the submarine tribe. We kind of have our culture, the surface warfare, the SEALs, the doctor, you know, you name it, right? And I wanted to provide some guidance that was helpful in terms of structuring an approach to leadership, but wasn't overly uh, specific so that I was trying to, you know, I didn't want to change their culture. I wanted them to, their culture to thrive. So we provided this framework and, um, you know, I, I would say that something like that would be helpful to just about any team that really strives to uh, deliberately develop leadership as an attribute within their team. And uh, the other thing that uh, is interesting is that, you know, the services generally find their leaders from within the team, right? They have to build them within the team. Whereas a lot of businesses, you know, if they don't, if they don't 
you know, have the right attributes on somebody within the team, they can go, you know, and find somebody from and bring them in from, from the outside. You know, we don't really have that luxury in uh, the in the military service, so we really have to be mindful to build those uh, folks ourselves. But something that really kind of gets after it, you know, and so you know the the fundamental you know structure of that framework is first, you know, what are the attributes of leadership that would serve our team well? And you mentioned a bunch of different types of teams. And I think that uh, each one of those teams, you know, the, the attributes of leadership are different, right, for each one of those teams. So, hey, we start by defining, hey, what are we actually trying to, to, to go for here? What's the objective? And so, you know, that was, that was the place to go. And we tried to continue an analogy that was easy to, to, to conceptualize. You know, the road to that objective has three lanes, right? One is to build competence. Right. I mean, no sports team is going to professional sports team is going to bring somebody on who's not very, very skilled in their in their job, in their position. So you got to do that. Uh, I would argue that, uh, you know, you want to uh, develop character or integrity. And, uh, you know, integrity means, you know, integrity for that team. And so the values of, the, of each team are, are slightly different. Some are common. You want people to be honest. You know, you want that sort of thing, but some are very specific to what the team is, is doing, what their mission is. And then uh, the, the third lane is about uh, connections or communications. You know, how leadership is, a, is, a, is a, a communicative thing, right? It's a contact sport. And so, uh, you know, how does a particular person learn to communicate with their teams, communicate uh, horizontally with their peers, their fellow leaders, communicate up to you know, they're uh, the leaders above them. And so I think, you know, all three of those uh, lanes, if you will, define the road towards developing the leader that the, the organization needs. And so, you know, you know, and then how do you move down that road? Well, you know, in the Navy, we've got a lot of formal schools, right? So we'll teach you your job. Uh, there's on-the-job training, right? That's another way to move down that road. And then there's a self-study, right? And so that's kind of how that framework is built. And you can almost kind of see, you know, a fill in the blank or, you know, a one day workshop where it's like, okay, let's take the morning and figure out what do we really value in our leaders? What are the attributes of leadership? Okay, got it. Now, how do we, you know, use competence, connections and character? How do we build those things? You know, what's the nature of them? What what competencies do we need? What uh, do we value as an organization? And then, you know, how do we connect and communicate with each other? And then how are we going to deliberately develop those, right? And so I think that, you know, having something like that uh, in play for just about any team would be helpful. Yeah, I'm just stuck on this because I'm thinking about hiring processes and what, organizations do when they're hiring and a lot of organizations will i think very strong organizations will hire based on their values i love how you talk about core attributes and how core attributes actually will show our values through actions and so um we may come back to that but i want to stay on this idea because i think some organizations do a good job of hiring based on their values i'm not sure they're thinking about we need to hire the most competent leaders 
right? Like what would it look like for our organization to hire the most competent leaders? So they have to have the skill and know what they're doing, of course. And we want people that will positively influence the team. Because to me, that's what a leader is. Someone who's going to positively influence the team. Sometimes it's with their voice. Sometimes it's with a pen. Other times it's by asking questions. But we want people that are going to positively influence the team. And to me, that has to be... It has to start with the hiring process. It also has to be in development and teaching and learning like you talked about. It also has to do with firing. Like if someone is not positively influencing the team and they are not aligned with our attributes that we think leaders have, we need to be able to move on from them. And of course, let's promote based on how they are positively influencing the team through these attributes. And those things are usually not the process for hiring. We usually just hire the people that have the resume that fit the job that we need. We usually promote high performers who are good at something. And so we give them a pay raise and we give them more power and influence. And we usually let people that are high performers stay on the team, even if they're not showing the values through actions because we're justifying their performance and in it. So um, I'm riffing here a little bit, but I'm sure you have some thoughts as far as what that could look like from an attribute standpoint. And I'll point out these four that you wrote about, which is our integrity, accountability, initiative, and toughness as the core attributes that you were looking for from uh, your your people in the Navy. But I'm curious, as you think about all of those things, like what comes up for you? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, the other thing in terms of positively influencing the team, let's not forget, uh, are your example, you know, your behavior, which is maybe the thing that communicates most powerfully to everybody around you. And so, uh, you know, particularly if you're a leader uh, of a team, you know, that team at least is watching you very carefully, right? And they want to get a sense for the type of person that you are, because it goes back to trust and confidence, Right. And so if, uh, okay, you could be the most skilled person. You you could have a very, very, very competent expert. Right. Uh, but if, you know, particularly I think in the military context, um, but, but I don't want to minimize how important this is in all contexts. You know, if they get a doubt, a sense of doubt about your character, I think they're only going to go so far with you, you know, because you're, that, that trust is going to always have a bit of a shade on it, right? Uh, because they just wonder if you're going to make the right decision for the right reasons when the chips are really down, right? And I think also, um, you know, this idea of being, you know, connected with the rest of the team is also important. And then, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, and so I think the more thoughtful teams try and get the best sense of that during the hiring process that they can. And it helps, right, if you've got a little bit of a structured thought process, you know, filled out this framework, if you will, so that you can can kind of say uh, a little bit more definitively what you're after, right? And so you can kind of assess to that. Um, You know, you're going to get the best sense of it that you can in a condensed period of time, right? You can't stretch this hiring process out. Um, And, uh, you know, maybe there's like, uh, that's why I like internships a lot, right? Because you get a chance to sort of see people in in the uh, environment and how they really do. The final thing I would like to say is that, uh, you know, in response to what what I thought was just a really thoughtful uh, summary on your part, 
is, uh, you know, you said positively influence the team, right? And I think that that's, that's a really powerful statement, right? Because how are we all going to look to one another, everybody on the team, and look to actually positively influence the other, right? And, and forget about ourselves, forget about us getting ahead or anything like that. How are we going to positively influence everybody around us? And, you know, that's that, you know, that high tide that floats all boats. If you can make everybody around you better deliberately, uh, that's, that's a great vibe to have on a team. But, you know, in my vision, it's almost a requirement of a leader, right? And it gets you down the the road towards verse 17, you know, mastery, when you're really dedicated to making everybody around you better. And then, you know, you pointed out that sometimes uh, it's just not going to fit, right? A, a particular person is not having the, the desired uh, in positive impact on the team. Um, but even as you're, you know, finding perhaps a new place for that person, what can you do to make that as positive exper an experience as possible, right? It's like, look, we brought you on. We, did, we, we saw something really positive in you. That's why we brought you on the team. Uh, it doesn't, you know, the fit's just not working out. Uh, can we adjust the job description or something like that to better fit your, your skill set, right? Your, your, your uh, competencies or, or uh, you know, the way you like to, to conduct yourself. Um, uh, it, it, maybe that is possible. If that's not possible, then hey, maybe this isn't the team for you, but let me help you find, you know, another team for you, right? So you stay invested in that person all the way. It's not like, hey, we're done with you. <laughs> Good luck. And, uh, and don't let the door hit you on the way out, right? And, and you know, everybody around the team is going to watch how that unfolds, right? And, you, you know, I think if you sort of approach it that way, you're not going to have everybody sort of scared of, you know, being, you know, one mistake away from being fired or anything like that. Um, there's this, I love your word, positive influence. I think that that's a great watchword to adopt for not only being a team member, but certainly a team leader. Yeah. I've always thought there's a definition of what is leadership, it's influence. And I've always struggled with that. I'm like, well, what is leadership? Like, it, I mean, that could be good leadership, bad leadership. I can positively yeah. influence negative. And to me, leadership is supposed to be something that is helpful. And of course we have examples of bad leadership. Just use like Adolf Hitler as an example, uh, influence in a negative way. Um, and is he a leader? Like that, that is an interesting question. He's a negative leader. He's influencing. In my mind, he's not a leader at that point, right? He's because yeah. he, it's negative. But I, those are maybe semantics. But for me, like a positive influence is what we're looking for in leadership. That's what we're aspiring yeah. to get out of leadership. For you all, um, is there room for lone wolves? Is there room for the person that is excellent at what they do in uh, a vacuum and yeah. like you can use, let's use like a kicker in the NFL who is, is world-class at kicking. And so their job is very specific and, and very uh, central, but maybe they don't have to 
uh, block for other people and they don't have yeah. to interact with people. Their jobs to kick a ball. Maybe that works on, on in a locker room on an NFL team. In the military, are there is there spaces for people that are excellent at what they do, but maybe don't have to operate in with the team? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, they're geniuses, right? Uh, that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to get the, the Nobel Prize. or I mean, they're just world-class thinkers uh, in terms of what they do, right? And, they, and you don't want those people to leave your team because you, you just don't want to lose that type of uh, input, right? That, that stunningly fantastic uh, genius. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're, they're great at leadership, right? And so what, and uh, you know, because of that, uh, to a degree, they need a little bit of protection, right? Uh, because left on their own, if the situation is left to its own devices, you know, all sorts of just kind of, you know, undesired behavior can, can occur between the rest of the team and this genius who's, you know, just kind of rubs people the wrong way or whatever it might be. And so, uh, you know, that, how, how do you take care of that? Well, you know, you, you surround that genius with people who are much better at that, right? So they almost can serve as the liaison uh, between uh, this person's intellectual contribution, which is going to, you know, make the team, it's the difference between losing and winning, you know, type of uh, impact. But it's got to, you know, be filtered through someone who's got these other skill sets, particularly like the connections and communication skill set, right? And so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, this, this, the three C's of leadership, uh, just to be, uh, again, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to put this in a, in a format that people can understand. So, you know, competence, yeah, they're supremely world-class competent, competent. Character, you know, maybe so, right? I mean, who's who's to say? Connections, eh. So let's find someone who can, you know, help them because their their contribution, their competence is just so world class. Uh, we've got to we, we've got to keep it on the team. So, so you know, that's kind of how I said. You know, you go back to uh, your example of Hitler. I, I would say that, uh, you know, from a competence standpoint, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he lost. Uh, Character, forget about it, right? I mean, I think against uh, almost any axis you want to use to measure, he was a person of poor character. You know, did he communicate? Well, certainly with his inner sanctum and that sort of thing, he might have had some skills in those areas. But I would say terrible leader, right, uh, in the other areas. 11 years underwater, some of us were on lockdown during the pandemic and uh, dealing with, with that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you were uniquely qualified to share how people could maybe handle an environment <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. What do you miss? What do you miss about being on a submarine? What do you miss about being on a boat um, now that you're, you know, living on the other side of me and in, in, outside DC and, uh, yeah. you know, what do you miss about the boat? Well, you know, uh, teamwork at that level is something really magic, right? And uh, there's, you know, nominally about uh, on an attack submarine, there's about 130 people, let's say, men and women. And uh, the degree to which those 130 people operate as a, you know, almost a single organism, uh, Brian, is just something absolutely magnificent to behold and be part of. You know, it really does kind of, you know, give you this, you know, this thrill 
to, to just be part of that type of a team. The missions are, you know, as we talked about earlier, you're going out there in defense of the country and you're doing, uh, you know, very, very noble things. You're working, you know, each individual on the team is a person who has so smart and so capable you know, they could have made any choice in the world. You know, they could have joined so many teams and yet, you know, they raise their right hand and, and uh, you know, the, the services can't compete on salary uh, with most other places. And oh, by the way, as a, a bonus, we're going to stick you underwater for five months out of the year. Uh, you know, you got to really respect that level of commitment. And so, you know, just being in the midst of all that on a day-to-day basis and, you know, you the, the team working together to grind through all the challenges of uh, maintaining a boat and getting it, keeping it ready for sea, getting it underway, operating it, et cetera, accomplishing mission after mission, um, you know, that is intoxicating. Uh, and uh, so, and it's so focused too, you know, I mean, it is just, there's, there's just this beauty and how focused it is. As you get more senior and you leave that, right? Um, it, uh, th- that's the thing that I think you miss. I read a book, it was called A First Rate Madness, and it was basically about studying the psychiatry or, or psychology to a certain extent of some of the most influential, impactful leaders in the world. And yeah. the thesis of the book, which is debatable, was that, uh, you need to be a little crazy to have success while operating in wartime. And that same craziness is actually what creates chaos during peacetime. And so if you're at war, you want someone who's a little different, who's a little manic um, because it's going to require so much of them. But when there's peace, that person becomes very destructive and creates and generates chaos for you. I would imagine there were times of, much more high intensity and high pressure and fear to use the word earlier. And then there were mm-hmm. times where I'm, it's still a huge responsibility, but perhaps you're working on projects and, and maybe uh, less in it, so to speak. Um, what was that like for you during the seasons of your career and um, being more concerned with war and, and maybe less concerned? And, and what was that like for you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, war is just such an intense, you know, experience and, and preparing for war and all of those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, so when you talk about it, the, the degree of uh, teamwork and trust required at that level, and you, you, your friend uh, you talk to in the Marine Corps, you know, they see it even more viscerally than uh, we would see it in the submarine force, perhaps. But, you know, the, the goal is the same. And, and uh, one of the, you're literally trusting your life right to your your comrades your shipmates and so you know that degree of intensity is uh it's unique i guess right and some of the skills that will help people you know manage through their fear and still uh you know train to the degree that they can almost run on their brainstem uh and get the job done that's a that's a skill set that you know may or may not uh, in uh, translate to sort of more you know, less warlike roles, let's say, right? But I think the thing that would want to be uh, translatable is the, you know, the level of intensity, right? And so, you know, one thing that we kind of became, uh, we, we sort of made it our, our, our uh, goal, right, is we did one thing when I was in command of a submarine. And, 
you know, we thought we'd done okay on this thing. We were being graded on it. And we went up and I, you know, I was talking to the uh, XO, the second in command. I was saying, well, you know, we'll go up and if we pass on this, then, you know, that'll be a decent result. And then they said, you know, actually, uh, you know, Kevin, not, not only did you pass, but that's actually the best we've ever seen it done. And uh, I was like, what? You know, best ever? And they said, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we keep track of these things. And, uh, and so, you know, after that, you sort of stop listening. They're going to go on and list your 120,000 deficiencies. Uh, but, you know, after they gave you the best ever grade. And so we're on the way out. I was like, you know, that kind of, I like the ring of that, right? I like the ring of best ever. So let's go see what else we can do and, uh, and get that sort of best ever, uh, you know, grade or whatever. So, uh, you know, we kind of made it a fun goal, a competitive challenge for ourselves. And, uh, and, you know, you got to watch out to how you achieve that, right? Uh, there's a quality factor to that. And so, so we were mindful of that, but, you know, that level of intensity can translate. Right. And you don't have to be in a wartime situation to say, hey, we want to really go out and capture best ever performance. And uh, so how are we going to do that? Let's get together here and put our minds together. Let's get super creative and, you know, really lean into this. And, uh, you know, I, I think that those sorts of things uh, translate pretty, pretty well. I'm smiling because I went to Georgetown to study leadership coaching, executive coaching. And they yeah. had us like come up with what is your mantra or what do you guys want to be called? What is this cohort? What's the name? And we we're like, we want to be the best cohort ever. And yeah. that was it. And so we had best cohort ever. And that was our thing throughout our program. We're the best cohort ever. And there is something beautiful about putting that out there in the world and striving for excellence and, and holding yeah. yourself accountable. What would the best cohort ever do in this situation? Yeah, um, yeah exactly. There's that famous Lombardi quote, right? It's like, hey, you know, we're going to chase perfection. And uh, okay, we're human. So we, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get the quote right, but we're human. So we're not going to ever be perfect. But along the way, we're going to achieve excellence. And, uh, you know, it, that's not, that, that's, that's kind of a great way to approach things. <laughs> I also think it's a great way for us to, to wind down. Look, in your documents you sent to me, there was so much about learning and this idea being like high velocity learning and we want to be learners and we want to have a process and a feedback loop to make sure that we're constantly growing, constantly adapting, constantly getting better. Uh, it's clear that you live that and you act with that. Uh, sort of my last formal question, a lot of times I say that and then there comes another question. So you've been warned if if I ask <laughs> one more, but um, yeah, what are you really curious about? You're off the boat. You're, I know you do a lot of speaking, consulting, you're serving on boards. Um, yeah. If I were to ask you like, hey, what are you really curious about right now? What are you learning about or reading about or what, what gets you excited to yeah. uh, study? What comes up for you? I'll tell you what, for me, uh, Brian, so it's a really interesting question because, uh, you know, when you're in uniform, right, I was, I was in uniform for 37 years, and so I would wake up every morning and put that uniform on and go to work, and I always, you know, the, the reason for things or, you know, <laughs> there was all, that was always sort of provided, right, <laughs> you know, you're in the military, and so you've got that. Um, now you're retired, and it's like, well, what's Act 2 going to be all about? Right. And uh, so, uh, you know, where it's come down is, you know, I think we're at a really, really important inflection point in history right now where, you know, the global political landscape is changing uh, dramatically. 
with the rise of uh, nations like China. Uh, you know, Russia has been out there for a long time and continues to be challenging. Uh, and, uh, and also there's this great uh, technological revolution occurring simultaneously, right? And I think that, you know, uh, it would be terrific. The team that gets that best is going to define the agenda for the next 75 to 100 years, right? And so, you know, if, if as a nation, the United States, you know, wants to continue to be doing that, uh, how are we going to navigate our way through these inflection points? And uh, that's just got me insanely curious to see how I can contribute best to that. And, you know, the other thing I've uh, learned is that uh, there's a lot of elements to national security and, 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 and national power, if you will. And so, you know, I spent a, the, va you know, the vast majority of my life so far in the military element of national power. I think navies are special because they're also very involved in the diplomatic element of power, right? A lot of diplomacy uh, has occurred, uh, you know, with and, and through the Navy in our history. So, so every sailor is a diplomat. Uh, every ship, every warship is sovereign U.S. territory, right? So, so that's kind of cool. And then, uh, you know, we're really all about uh, making sure that we have access to markets and trade routes and all those sorts of things. So the contribution to the economic dimension of national power is uh, is another thing that I think every sailor can be proud of. But uh, you know, I, I'm involved with a, you know uh, some energy companies, right? And so you know that's a big element of national security. How are we going to continue to power our nation? Uh, not only to just meet the demands of uh, future you know society, uh, not only here in the United States, but but around the world. And how are we going to do so in a way that uh, is, you know, mindful of the fact that we've got to stop emitting carbon or we're just going to destroy ourselves, right? So that's, you know, I'm on the board of Constellation Energy. It's the biggest provider of clean energy in the country. And I'm very proud to be part of that as they think their way through this and take a leadership position. And so, you know, that and so many other areas, I think that that's kind of what's got me uh, fired up in uh, act two. Well, this conversation got me fired up. I love chatting with you about a week ago. Uh, and this lived up to the hype of that as well. I want to also give a shout out to Ashley Merriman who, uh, yeah. originally connected us. And I know Ashley has, has been someone who you've leaned on and, and, and learned from and collaborated with as well. Um, is there anything you want to give a platform to? Is there a nonprofit? Is there something you are passionate about? Um, I don't think you're on social media. I found a handle on Twitter, but I don't know if it was you and it was from 2020. Yeah. So I don't think it's you. I don't know if you're on LinkedIn. I, I tried to figure out like, is, is there a website we should guide people to here? Yeah. Um, I basically, this is a time of the show where I usually give people a platform to share anything that they're passionate about. It could be their social media, it could be their website, or it could be a nonprofit that you want more eyeballs and people to be aware of. So uh, use this time to promote whatever it is. Obviously you do some speaking and consulting. So um, if people are interested in that, I'm sure I can connect them to you, but um, yeah. What, what would you like to share with, with our audience? 
Yeah, Brian, thanks so much for this opportunity. I, I didn't anticipate it, but I'll take it for sure. And, you know, let me just uh, pile on and uh, also provide a shout out to Ashley, who uh, was one of those team members that, you know, she and I worked very closely together when I was uh, chief of the Navy. And she helped me in a lot of areas, but, uh, you know, particularly with uh, diversity and, and those sorts of things. She was uh, just a super trusted advisor. And we're still friends and stay in touch all the time. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, in terms of uh, my social media footprint, I have none. Uh, that's been a deliberate decision so far. And so, uh, you know, through you, I mean, anybody, and I trust you, Brian, that uh, if anything that we've said today is interesting to anybody and they want to get in touch with us, you or me, you know, happy to uh, feel those just you know, you can, we can think about just providing my email or whatever it might be. Um, and then, you know, I think that uh, what, uh, what, it's not really a nonprofit or anything like that, but, you know, just let's be mindful of, you know, the human element of, uh, of what's going on out there right now, right? And, uh, you know, we talk about social media uh, and there's this, sense that it can connect us all. And yet we read that, you know, people are more lonely than they've been in a long, long time. And so this idea of connections, you know, that is in that leader framework, development framework that I gave you, you know, please reach out and uh, just make it a deliberate effort every day to connect personally with somebody. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I've enjoyed connecting personally with you. And, uh, and, you know, there are a lot of people out there who uh, are not as lucky as we are, right? And uh, making sure that you do what you can to connect with those folks and uh, alleviate uh, their struggle. Uh, I think that that's just a really important part of going forward. And uh, so, uh, you know, there's a number of ways to do that, right? Uh, but if you wake up every day and think, how am I going to make, make a human connection with people that I know? and maybe people that I don't know, uh, and again, have a positive influence on them, just to use your words. Uh, I think that, you know, when you put your head down at the end of the day and you can sort of tick off a few things that you did in that, in that regard, you know, you'll sleep better that night. I love the word connected. I, I think we can connect with nature. We can connect with spirituality. You can connect with God. If that's your thing, you can connect, uh, with colleagues, you can connect with family, you can connect with yeah. friends. Um, I just, you know, the national championship football game was a blowout, but yeah. Georgia, if you listen to them, their coach, all he talks about is we're connected. Like we are yeah. going to be connected. Yeah. And to your point, I think as we move away from some traditional institutions, whether that is a church or a religious output, which the numbers are saying those things are declining. Um, yeah. Part of us find ourselves less connected or less connected to our neighbors and our neighborhoods or less connected to our communities. And look, I like social media. I enjoy Twitter. I enjoy LinkedIn, but to, yeah. to sub out, a human connection with those is a mistake and, and even remote work like finds us less connected. And so yeah. I think it's a really cool place for us to close is just 
to appreciate our connection that that we made remotely and then i know we don't live too far away from each other so perhaps we can get together and and connect in person as well and um, yeah. i just thank you for everything you continue to do to inspire people this was absolutely an inspiring service uh service i see i put in service there when i was thinking about <laughs> bless you brian <laughs> yeah like geez this was this was really tough i think in my mind there's probably something about appreciating your service and i know uh you mentioned volunteers earlier and uh our military does such a incredible remarkable job of connecting us and allowing us to i think you used the word privilege earlier to have the privilege to yeah. be able to do so much so uh deeply appreciate you and uh, yeah. looking forward to staying connected as well so uh thanks for yeah. coming on the podcast brian let me just say if i could uh i know you're trying to wind it down um, no we can know, get I, going we can go as yeah, long this, as you want <laughs> this idea of com connections is uh, uh is a really good story right because connections actually only came uh, part of this uh, leader development framework in version three, right? And it came about because someone in the Navy was reading version two. And you know, one, uh, she, she was in command of a uh, littoral combat ship at the time, uh, Captain Emily Bassett is her name. And uh, so one, she recognized, hey, if it's version one and now version two, there's an implicit invitation for feedback here. And so uh, I'm going to take them up on that. And then uh, the thing I'm going to provide is this idea that at the time, they only had uh, competence and character. She said, hey, you're missing a C. It's connections. And, uh, you know, that whole thing, uh, you know, we're still in touch and still doing things together by virtue of sort of, uh, I, I guess, the openness, right, uh, to one another, even across you know, lots of ranks and communities and distance and all those sorts of things. We connected in that way and made that leader development framework uh, much, much stronger just because we were sort of open to the possibility of positively influencing one another. So I think that that's another element of leadership is that, you know, the best ideas can come from anywhere in the team. You just got to be open to it, right? You got you got to have a way to receive it, and you got to be mentally open to it as well. So, anyway, I just wanted to sort of share that because uh, I think it is very powerful, and it you know that whole powerful idea was was given to me by you know people like Ashley, people like Emily. They contributed so much to that. It's beautiful. And I'll, I'll give my email. So if people want to connect, they can reach out Brian at strongskills.co. If you enjoyed today's conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and uh, from there, uh, we we can also talk and, and learn together. So uh, Admiral, it's, this has been a blast and deeply appreciate you. Uh, a lot of wisdom in our conversation today. And uh, thanks for coming on. Brian, thanks for having me. And I look forward to uh, staying connected. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. So the first version uh, had uh, character and competence as, you know, sort of major fundamental elements of leadership to be developed. But the idea behind the framework was the fact that, hey, you know, even inside the Navy, right, there are many different uh, tribes, Okay. And so, you know, we, we just saw Top Gun 2 uh, come out, you know, a fantastic movie. Uh, and, you know, that, that captures you know, some of the naval aviation culture, right? That's one really, you know, strong and powerful tribe in the Navy. I was from a different tribe. I'm from the submarine tribe. 
we kind of have our culture, the surface warfare, the SEALs, the doctors, you know, you name it, right? And I wanted to provide some guidance that was helpful in terms of structuring an approach to leadership, but wasn't overly uh, specific so that I was trying to, you know, I didn't want to change their culture. I wanted them to, their culture to thrive. So we provided this framework and, um, you know, I would say that something like that would be helpful to just about any team that really strives to uh, deliberately develop leadership as an attribute within their team.